One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Series 3, Episode 5 of Old Brother, a podcast about Salford slash Manchester's legendary musical institution, The Fall. As you know by now, each week we rally on a guest to chat about their experiences and memories of the group. You can find us at Spotify, Apple and all the usual suspects, but we're actually hosted at play.acast.com forward slash s forward slash Old Brother. All episodes are also available on YouTube, search for Old Brother Podcast and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. This week, we're joined by Mr. Dave Aslam, all the way from Paris, thanks to the wonders of modern technology. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, here we are, the latest edition of Old Brother, the full podcast with me, Paul Hanley, and my uh, elder brother, Stephen. Good evening, Stephen. Good evening. You well? I'm okay, thanks, yeah. Got all my technical glitches there, but... Yeah. Uh, hey, don't shine daylight on the magic. It, it works perfectly every time. So, um, <laughs> our, our guest today um, probably needs no introduction, but I'm going to have to introduce him because otherwise he won't know who he is. Um, so, we're delighted to be speaking today to journalist, author, DJ, and serial appearer on programmes about the Hacienda, Mr David Haslam. Good afternoon, David. Hello, Hello Dave. How are you doing? Okay, thanks, you. Yeah, I am so bored of appearing on programmes about the Hacienda. No he won't be, no, and not neither will Noel Gallagher. He's got a new oh, yeah, yeah, that. house music. But um apparently he lost some money, did he? Keeps it very quiet. Um, I, I only do them because I like to uh, take the opportunity to slag off Thatcher um, <laughs> the 80s. and I, I don't think that anyone else will. Hookie probably won't. But um, so I say yes, just as long as I can talk politics. Right. And, right. And, uh, and did you in that one last night? Yeah, I meant, yeah, I managed to get Thatcher into the conversation. Oh, okay. yeah, in between bouncing off the walls next to Pete Waterman, he did a bit of politics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A bit of politics. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I, I was what I was going to say, but I mean, we won't spend the whole time talking about Hacienda. But um, I tell you, who's always abs- I mean, oh God, rest his soul, he can't be a peer. But Claude never makes gets enough of a um, no. And and I t- what I thought there was a massive hole between yeah, it's starting and it being empty. To, to then all the acid house stuff, but they had some amazing gigs on, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, the fact they had William Burroughs doing a reading, I don't know if either yeah. of you were there, Psychic TV supported by William Burroughs. I mean, that's a bit mm. of a mad one in a way. Yeah. Manchester. Well, well, I just remember the cramps and the birthday party. and Absolutely. Um, Johnny yeah. Thunders as well. Johnny Creep, Mark yeah. Riley and the Creepers supported Johnny Thunders at the Ascend. That was a great gig as well. Curtis Mayfield. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but, um, yeah. But it always, it's always uh, it was all, it was empty. Then Madonna appears, and then it suddenly turns into acid house. It's just <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, they only give an hour for these documentaries, don't they? And I guess um, you know, peak time BBC. Yeah, uh, they tell the basic story, and um, but that's that's what you get with music history, isn't it? You know, it is. you find people just latch on to. Two or three things. Oh yeah, the fall. Oh yeah, Marquis Smith used to sack loads. Had a lot of, of mem- had a lot of members. And that's like the only thing that people say all the time. Like it's an original thought. You know? Yes. <laughs> Tell you what's a good one. Always different. Always the same. I could do yeah. see that quote a few more times. <laughs> I know. So, um, I mean, normally I do these interviews with the Ender and they edit everything out that I've said that I think is interesting, and all they leave in is we were mad for it. Okay. <laughs> Quoted in a few documentaries, and all my beautifully articulated thought on the politics and culture of the moment is edited out. Um, I say we were mad for it. Did you come? Did you come up with that phrase, Dave? No, and also I wasn't really mad for it. Do you know what I mean? I was. I was. I was working hard behind the DJ. Indeed. Yeah. So when you well, we we can't spend the whole time talking about the ascender. We'll get back to it. We'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go back to. We'll go back to the mist through the mists of time to 1980, which I believe is when you started at uni. Is that were you at uni or the poly? At the uni, yeah. That's when when I moved up from uh, Birmingham to come up to Manchester to study. What were you studying? Uh, English. Ah. Which, um, and, I mean, I didn't really know much about the course. I just wanted to be, I mean, I mean, also, to be honest, Birmingham and Manchester and Liverpool, Leeds, all those places were pretty similar in yeah. many ways, post-industrial. Yeah. Birmingham had had a great music scene, and I, as a teenager I'd seen you know, the au pairs and Dexies and uh, the prefects. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, I think I, I think I saw their final gig, um, Steel Pulse. So there yeah. was a good scene around, but um, the Manchester stuff, Buzzcocks, Full Magazine, um, I feel like I just wanted to be in the same city as that. I don't think, I don't remember studying what I was going to be reading on the course at the uni or whatever. I just wanted to be somewhere that was right. exciting and musical. So, right. Because well, I mean, the uni then was like the hub of the Manchester music scene in a lot of ways, wasn't it? I mean, the all you know, the, between the, the uni and the poly. There were a lot of college gigs, weren't there, around well, that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the poly, uh, I mean, the uni I saw, I think I saw Jonathan Richmond, Altered Images, you know, just in my fir- first couple of months there. And the Poly uh, the, in the old Cavendish building. Uh, that was a great venue, yeah. It was a great venue, yeah. 
and yeah. and um, I saw the cure there, and um, and I think that was the first place I saw the fall. Yes, that was. I'll, I'll look up the date while we're talking, but that was at the Poly, and the one they always say about that one is when Mark leapt into the audience to smack somebody for throwing something at him or exactly at him. And did did I mean? Um, I I asked Mark about that. Um, Thirty one years later, and he <laughs> he had no recollection of it whatsoever. Um, <laughs> Uh, but that was what interviewing Mark was like. Do you know yes. what I mean? It wasn't, straight, it wasn't easy, let's be honest. But, I was, um, was going to say that I've watched, uh, by way of, um, by way of uh, research for this, I, I listened to and the, read the transcripts of you, you interviewing Mark just after his autobiography came out, and you keep asking him about stuff that's in the book. <laughs> you keep yeah. saying, what are you talking about? I've never heard that story before in my life. He said, you're bleeding autobiography. <laughs> and, yeah, he, I think at one point he says, uh, that ghostwriter's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that poor bloke. Oh. Um, he had a job, didn't he? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I think he did. I mean, uh, Mick, Mick Middles did a, a, a Mark book as well, didn't mm. he? Which I think yeah. I mean, that was just riddled with inaccuracies. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think the one that Austin Collins ghosted was um, was a lot better. But yeah, Mark Mark was denying lots of stuff in that when I interviewed him. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the, the thing with the Austin Collins, I think it's Austin Powers. Then Austin Collins one was <laughs> he kind of set the parameters whereby. There's no way we're getting a proper autobiography out of this, so I might as well just make it be yeah. sat next to Mark in the pub. Really, sat next to Mark, yeah, talking. Yeah. It was. It did read just like having a conversation with him, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, um, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone can independently corroborate whether Mark got off the stage to hit somebody, but, I mean, um, I, obviously it's the sort of thing you do remember uh, when, you're a, when you're a punter down the front. Yeah, yeah. I think seem to remember it, yeah. Because yeah. cause there was always that, I don't know, there was always that sort of thing, do we go and help him or do we what do we, do we keep playing? Do we stop playing? And then sort of round then, because I really only just joined and uh, and he said, keep playing, just keep playing. Anything like that happens, just keep playing. Um, I don't know what, what, what the confrontation was all about, but, mm. I mean, as far as me having already built up the fall in my head, you know, uh, before seeing them, it was exactly what I wanted to see. <laughs> um, uh, and that little, that edge at gigs was, um, I, I thought that that just added to it all, you know, and, and, and I've said it many times about the bands that I liked that uh, to see live. I mean, I remember when I saw Joy Division, they, they were kind of, you know, they weren't, they didn't sound as, like they did on the record, and, no, and then not later, at all. Yeah. And then later, when Happy Mondays came along, and it would all look like they were all playing different songs, and the whole thing's going to fall apart. And I like that. I never want. I never want to go and see a live act where they just sound like they do on the record, and it's all yeah, lovely and slim. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. That's one of the things that I liked uh, liked about the fall. But you did, although you know i mean it's not like it was about to fall apart but it was more the edge i think yeah, yeah. that's yeah. definitely it i mean it's not it's harder to do than you think actually cuz there's nothing worse than it actually falling apart is there yeah. i mean that's just awful that's a bloody racket but if you can walk that kind of line it takes some doing but and it takes yeah. you know it takes people with profound profoundly poor <laughs> musical skills like me and my brother there but uh, oh yeah you don't want to get too good do you 
but then you don't want to be deliberately not good. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, kind of like magic, really, isn't it? So yeah. Anyhow, Dave, it was the yeah. 1st of November, 1980. Right. And it says here, there's a quote here, it says, my favourite fall moment from the very first time I saw them at Manchester Poly in 1980. Someone in the crowd lobbed a beer can up and it Mark E. Smith with it. Mark didn't blink an eye, carried on the song without pausing. At the end of the song, he went over to Anley and Scanlon, who pointed out somebody in the crowd about halfway back. Marky Smith shouts, you fucking ugly twat, walks off the stage and reappears a minute later. <laughs> Where, where's that? That's that somebody else's memory. This is the fall. I mean, it's an invaluable, uh, it's a fall gigography, yeah. so basically. Wonderful. A mm. list well, of every gig, near enough. It's, that's all, it's always nice, isn't it, to get your your, your memories confirmed because yes. we are at that age where we do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I've played the poly about five times that year, um, and I mean, I think that was um, that was around the time of um, I think the man whose head expanded was my favourite full record at that time, and I think that was well, around way out there. That's two years later. Yeah. Now. yeah. <laughs> Right. When was grotesque? Grotesque was then. That was when that was. Ah, grotesque. Yeah. Yes. That was. That, that yes. was. Uh, New face in hell. I think was one of my favourite full records. That's right. Good yeah. man. You can stay. You can stay the hour now, Dave. You've said that. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was when, going with man. Is it expanded? Ninety percent of them. I tell you when they were. I tell you when they were great. This nation's saving is great. Oh, oh yeah. You mean five minutes after I left? Yeah, yeah. That's when they were. <laughs> And I think, I mean, yeah, I remember that. I think Grotesque was the first album I bought by the Fall. I mean, I, you know, I, I wasn't a big album buyer anyway. Um, but um, yeah, I remember the, is it like a kazoo or something in New Face yes. in Hell? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, uh, but, you know, just that kind of un- the, the uh, unpredictability. Uh, and that, you know, what always just still, pisses me off is the way that um, Smith still gets portrayed. Again, we were talking earlier, weren't we, about how simplified everything is, you know, as a pisshead, basically. Yeah. And, mm. and all as a bunch of northern oiks. And it just pisses me off so much because the amount of kind of artistic creativity and and credibility in those sort of records and just generally was, you know, immense. And if, you, you know, if that kind of music would be made by somebody in New York, you know, we'd be kind of talking about, talking about them in a totally different way, you know, talking about yeah. them. And uh, anyway, well, that's I mean, my high hope. How much of that was of his own doing though? Because it, I think he, was, he definitely had a, you know, there's no reason why he wasn't like you say. He gets portrayed as a pisshead, but he's clearly a very intelligent bloke with a very intelligent line in th- line of thinking. Yeah, and a lot of the interviews, it, it, he's running it a lot of the time. Do you not think? Where it's you know, it's it's he he had the thing that he did in interviews, and yeah, maybe I mean, people I, couldn't cope with it. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I um, I mean, to be honest, I when I. I mean, I'm, I don't know how many times I interviewed him. I did. I think I did two public ones and about five or six, you know, for newspapers. Mm-hmm. And um, he was, it, whether he was, he'd had, you know, lots to drink or whether he hadn't. He was still a very difficult interview. <laughs> I used to think, oh, if I could, if I could just manipulate the situation, so we just sit sit down and have a cup of tea together. 
yeah. Uh, I'll get like a totally different mark, and that isn't how it ever oh, worked. That never happened, then, did it? No. <laughs> and um, so I think it was just the the way that that his almost his default position being interviewed was to be a bit belligerent. And, yes. And but that mm-hmm. wasn't, I don't think, out of the fact that he was drunken out of control because it, it it didn't make any difference how drunk he was. No. That was just how how he was. Um, and, uh, yeah, so. It, it might have made for difficult, although there's no might about it, I'm sure it did make for very difficult, your job difficult as when you're interviewing him, but it, that doesn't necessarily translate as making it a bad article. They're always good articles, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was, uh, as they say, he was great copy. You know I mean? Yeah. I, and, you know, when I remember, uh, I mean, I used to love interviewing him. You know, and when I interviewed him live in front of an audience, I loved it even more because I knew it would be a, a, a circus. I knew it would be so memorable. And if people have paid, you know, a tenner to see two old men chatting about stuff on the stage, yeah. then mm-hmm. it has to be deg- a degree of kind of entertainment. And also that edge, that edge that, that the fall had live, you know, and yeah. even though he used to make it difficult, he used to take the piss out of me relentlessly. Uh, in interviews, um, he, 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 it didn't really matter to me. It was water off a duck's back. And I, I always ended up thinking, well, at least he hasn't bitten my ear off. Or, you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, I know literally, that, literally bit you there. That's quite a low bar in terms of was that a successful interview. But um, <laughs> it, could, it could be a bit like that, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, we've said that this come up a few times now, but it was. I think he thought it was part of his job, really, to mm. have and also, the interview. I think he, used to, he used to think that all journalists had expense accounts. So <laughs> I, I do think also, if you read the in- interviews, uh, a lot of the interviews, you know, I think I think Smith used to like taking advantage of NME write, writers coming up from London. Um, in fact, I remember one time I interviewed him for City Life magazine, uh, 1986, just before GMAX, uh, oh, yeah. Festival of the Town mm-hmm. Summer Gig. Um, and he was really insistent that he, he needed pizza. And uh, so me and Mark <laughs> went to that pizza restaurant near um, the Shakespeare pub. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it was called now. Pizza, uh, it was, was it and- Pizza Land in them days, I think? No, no, it was it was one of those that was called like Giovanni's or Luciano. Oh, 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 Luc- no. Any, um, yeah, we wouldn't have gone to. Anyway, that's why. Yeah, and uh, and he made me pay for it, even though I wasn't on. Had an expense account. <laughs> he thought he, he wanted to get something out of the interview. Quite right. Um, he was like, "You're paying for this." I'm like, "Oh, well, okay." I'm gl- I, 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 I can't for the fall fans who'd like to know what toppings he had. I'm afraid I don't remember. Ah, oh, you flipped us oh. down there, Dave. Yeah. Uh, we might as well stop it now. <laughs> Probably not a lot, I'd say. <laughs> no, but um, I know um, the uh, the other the other fall gig which I wanted to mention uh, to you guys was um, the one at Fagin's. Where I believe, Paul, it was your first night with two drummers. It was. That's right. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think I'm right in saying the distractions yeah. supported. I think was it the distractions, or were they, or they changed? They, didn't we call something else after the distractions? I can't remember. I yeah, I can't. Re- I don't remember it being the distractions. I don't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, that was, uh, but I just absolutely loved that gig. I think that was probably the, my favourite four gig, and 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 definitely uh, that kind of yeah, that, the extra. Whatever hard driving rhythm of of you and Carl was just yeah. I mean, it was brilliant. it was quite a thing that because it was. I mean, I know Adam and the Ants did it, but it was, it was the whole the whole two done things was quite uh, well quite the revolutionary. Band. I think didn't and, the glitter band do it as well? Was it a band did it? Yeah, but yeah. I'm I'm talking about you know your post punk. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That was that was. Um, here's my my very good friend, the Four Gigography. That was the 30th of September, 1981. That All one. right, okay. Yeah, and it doesn't say it doesn't say he was supporting. Never mind. That was, um, so, what was what was Carl like as a as a, a co drummer, Paul? He, well, he was. I was going to say. I'm going to say you knew him pretty well, didn't you? Or know him? Or got to know him pretty well, Carl? <laughs> Me? Yeah. Oh, I no, don't. Know. Am I wrong about that? Well, uh, I don't know. Did he? Yes. Sorry. I wonder got that information from. I just remember him. He used to come to some of the gigs that I used to do, like in kind of 84. He lived in the Hacienda, didn't he? Yeah, but yeah. also I did, a, I did a night at the, what was called the venue. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember the venue. And he, yeah. used, he used to come in the venue. And, uh, I mean, oftentimes uh, there was a bit of an aura around him which was a little bit negative. He <laughs> did, yeah. It wasn't like... <laughs> Mr. It wasn't like oh he's going to be he's going to be a great asset to the party, um, <laughs> but that's kind of what prompted my my question about what he was like to kind of be. Mm. On well, stage. He, was, he was a bit of a hero of mine, drumming wise, before because you know I'm the kind of I always say like when I I was fourteen, there was John Mark, Carl, and Steve Morris were all like. Yeah, literally within touching distance sometimes because yeah. the oldest years in the same place. I mean, I used to go and watch them, so they were all like, I was massively in awe of all three of them, really. And then so the, to get the chat, so it was a bit weird, really, because a he was pinching my drum stool, and b he was one of me drumming heroes, and to get to get the yeah. chance to play with him it was a, kind of a bit of a two edged sword, really. Because on one point I, I could have said, well, actually, I'm the drummer. It's, this isn't right. But on the other hand, the, to get the opportunity to do it with, to do that with Carl was just brilliant, and it was. One of the best things I've ever done, playing two drums with Carl. It was well, playing two drums is an amazing thing to do anyway, and I've, I've not really done it enough. But it's, but I think we we did it pretty well. I think I think yeah, you did. Really, yeah. He, he certainly was a great. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't uh, mean to denigrate him at all. He was a fantastic drummer. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just kind of knew knew the kind of crew that he hung out with when he wasn't hanging out with, with you guys. No, Nobody ever gives a thought to the poor old bass player, though, do they, who's got to play with two drummers? No, I, don't, I don't even know what a bass player does, to be honest, Steve. Yeah. He, stand, he stands near the drummer, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's quite tricky, you know. Is it? I've never, I've never no. asked you about that, Steve. Is it? Was, was it more no. difficult being a bass player? With I don't remember it. No, I don't remember it being sort of any more difficult. Or any I'd have but, thought it would have been easier because I just like the blast yeah. so much. It's not like you're not going to yeah. be able to hear them. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, to, to, to an extent, he, he took a bit of yours as well. He did a bit of 
second base as well, didn't he, Carl? Yeah, the second base on the cup. Wow. On both of our toes. <laughs> there is there is the old story, but no. What? We could cut it out if it's controversial. No, just, you know, by the time he'd got off his kit, got the bass on, <laughs> found his plectrum, sorted the amp out, the song was nearly over. <laughs> <laughs> That's why all his bits are at the back end of the song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What did the band make of it when Mark started messing around with amps and telling people? Ugh. We have kind of covered that in this, but oh. I didn't like it at all. No, okay. Right, that's fine. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> well, who did like it? I think, I think, um, I know. Later on, they didn't mind it, did they so much? No. Elaine always saw it as an. Oh, I'm watching. We were talking about. It. She saw it quite as a positive thing, you know, on stage mixing or whatever it, whatever mm. it was termed. But um, it seems a bit hit and miss way of mixing for me, moving the microphone. Well, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, and uh, there's a uh, Bernard occasionally wanders over to where Gillian in New Orders with her keyboard and. Uh, uh, yes, I met, saw that. Messes a little bit with that as well. Yeah, so, I but, saw that. There was a, a big debate, like whether she, whether she was all right with it or not. Uh, yeah. Is it the, is it the end of one of the songs? He sort of pushes her out the way, doesn't he, and starts pissing about on her keyboard. I'll ask her and I'll report back. Yes, please do. Please do. Uh, we, won't, we won't get it on tape though. She can say, if you know if she wants to say it <laughs> confidentially, that's fine. <laughs> so have you seen them lately, New Order? Uh, not no. I mean, I would have loved to have gone to watch them with the Pet Shop Boys in America, yeah. but but, mm. um, but um, I got involved. Seems like only yesterday, but I think it was twenty seventeen when they did the uh, synthesizer orchestra for the Manchester International Festival. Oh yeah, that was something that I co-curated, yes. which was an amazing experience. Yeah, so top people so, indeed. So. Uh, uh, who did you get? Who got you in the divorce then? You, uh, them, or Rookie? Oh well, yeah. I'm, well, I'm, I'm I'm Team Bernard, and uh, oh, yeah. I'm 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 comfortable with my choice. Okay, well, that's <laughs> uh, okay. That was very that's another loaded sentence. Okay, very diplomatic. <laughs> but, oh, I mean, it's a it, it's a pretty sad state of affairs, but it is, it is what isn't it? it? You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Uh, because yeah. the, the, what I was going to say about New Order is because you know we all have seen them fairly early on. They've, I've seen the light. I've seen the light. I've seen the light. Um, um, and they are very good. And so are New Order now. But they're, they're a bit muscular for me now. One of the things I always liked about them was early, like you say, that kind of. They looked like the, the, all the equipment was going to fail at any minute, and the whole thing was going to fall apart mm. when they first started. Yeah. And they were like very tenuous, weren't they? Which was great. I thought. I thought that was. Fun. I mean, I suppose it's it's difficult to keep going with that when they're playing the kind of venues playing the kind of venues mm. they are now. You don't want it to be like, oh no, the the DAP machines broke down again or whatever. You want it. You want to be some kind of uh, consistency. But yeah. that, I think that's a shame in a way because they were one of those bands that were really good at that. So because, but the only the, you know you go and see them sometimes and they play for like twenty five minutes. Mm. Oh yeah. Which when they started doing encores, that was that was a big yeah. moment. <laughs> um, yeah, it, but I think people had different opinions about the 25, 30 minute sets. I think you know, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think. I think people always wanted a lot more from them anyway. Didn't well, now, they? yeah, I mean, well, that, there's that whole thing with gigs now, isn't yeah. there? 
Mm. You know, I mean, you look at the price. I mean, I hate to sound like an old fart, but you look at the price of some gigs mm. now. Yeah. And you think, well, you know it must be difficult. I was uh, talking to someone the other day about um, who's going to go and see The Cure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, oh, she, well, is it? <laughs> she, said, she said, you know, have you ever seen The Cure? And I said, well, I have, you know, but not since 1980 or something. And, um, and you know, they were like, a, again, you know, a punky group. Just there was, I think the first time I saw them, they were three-piece. But, yes. Um, and now they do like two and a half hour sets, don't they? But it, yeah. but it must be hard in a way. Uh, I mean, that's great because they've got a load of material, but it must be so very different to them as people and musicians, uh, you know, for, over 40 years later. Um, and in a way, you wouldn't want them to be the same. You know, you, oh, want, no. you want it to kind of evolve. Yeah. Which is the striking thing about the fall, really. Mm. The fact that they were still a kind of fragile, what the hell's going to happen kind yeah. of band 41 years on, weren't they? I mean, yeah. that takes some yeah. doing that. I mean, and, and I don't think all the choices were particularly healthy ones or popular ones that Mark made to keep that like that. But, you know, we've had this conversation. Yeah. You've, got to, you've got to say, in the end of the day, for him to pull it off, it's quite, it's quite amazing yeah. and it is completely unique, I think. Yeah, but uh, and, but at the same time, I mean, I think I I I, I like the way that the uh, you know the fall moved on and you know Mark. I mean, that one of the things he kept was frustrating in interviews is you you know obviously as as a journalist and a fan, you know you want to talk about stuff. But if he if I talked to him about you know two drummers, he'd be like, oh well, you know that was a long time ago, and can mm-hmm. we talk about the new album? And then I talk about the new album, and he's like, well, I want to talk about the next album, you know. And, yeah. And I remember doing one interview, you know, with him, and he, he got really narky because I, I wasn't moving on quickly to talk about the band. And as you know, we always used to think that the current lineup was the best lineup. Yes, so he, yes, that was like always something that he said. But it was for him. It was you know very much about um, the now, you know, yeah. and, um, and 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 not kind of looking back nostalgically. And I always really admired him for that. Yeah, me too. But because even, you know, you look at The Cure, they're still making records. I'm not, I'm not picking on The Cure particularly or, or, you know, or New Order or anything, but there's kind of it, there's there's a kind of a, a sop to new stuff and, you know, there's a, maybe three songs a night, whereas The Fall, you, it was just right at the end, you go and see The Fall, you know, and he was he wasn't well. It was well. just that, the recent material, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You was if you got one off the last album, which is incredible, really. It's a lot of work. It would have been a lot easier for him to just, you know, get four lads who could play Mr. Yeah. Pharmacist properly and just, you know, and just do that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that's kind of what the Buzzcocks did eventually. Yeah. Was you know, they just they did they did their set, you know, and that was yeah. their, and it was an old, you know, old tunes but well played. Yeah. Um, mm. But uh, well, I mean, I, I don't, I. I, I I fully understand that, you know. I can fully see that that's a way to go, you know. When you, but um, it's, it's what's striking is that the fall never did that, rather than the other way around. I mean, that's it seems like a fairly logical thing for me because the people who go in a lot of the time want to don't want to hear your new album, do they? You know. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, 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 a very brave thing to do. I mean, I, um, I mean, I obviously I kept on, you know, going to see the fall when I could and. Um, uh, Did you see them uh, later on then? Yeah, but not not yeah. not 
in the, you know, not in the last uh, two years, but again, it would be one of those where I remember seeing them one time and it was just, it was really actually quite depressing because, you know, it was like a cheap PA and, you know, and there was no kind of energy about, about it. And then I sort of yeah. saw it a year later and it was absolutely amazing, you know, uh, but I think that's, that probably the, the general fall experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, blindness is still one of my favorite ever fall tracks. Yeah. I mean, I think there's still, there was, you know, a lot of great stuff late on or relatively late on anyway. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I think that, that last, that last, I mean, that's the other thing. That last lineup lasted 10 years, isn't it? I know near enough. Yeah. And so they, because that whole, again, it's the old Granny on Bongos bollocks, whereby people, you can't just put it down to, well, obviously they're going to sound different, or obviously they're going to, because it's a new member. They, they, yeah. I think they did that anyway, you know. Yeah. So just uh, the other thing I, I want, wanted to uh, say was, <laughs> I don't know if, you, if either of you have been... Um, lucky enough to read uh, Sonic You Slept on My Floor, my acclaimed memoir. Oh, I can't remember the guy who wrote that. What was his name? Who no, was guy? it? And, it? and it wasn't a ghostwriter either. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a few fall stories in, uh, in there, a few Mark stories. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and one of them which um, occasionally, you know, well, obviously you guys know when, you, when you've got a book out, you go and do some readings. Yeah, yeah. There was one particular Marquis story which always went round down really well, and uh, seeing as you don't know it, I can I can tell you it now. Which was how do you know? How do you know we don't know it? Oh, well, sorry. Well, if you've not read the book, you won't know it. I've read the book anyway. Go on. I digress. Go on. Marquis Smith at my wedding. Have you read that? You remember that bit? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So when I got married, I invite, invited Mark to the wedding and, uh, well, the party after, which was uh, in a cl- – in, well, it, 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 it is what it sounds like, which was – it was called The Shed, basically, in Fallowfield. <laughs> um, yeah. Cheap, cheap, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but, uh, and it was on two floors, and the downstairs bit was kind of like slightly older – people and then upstairs was basically full-on rave uh, reflecting <laughs> which, the two, which room were you in Dave well, yeah, <laughs> reflecting, reflecting the two parts of my personality and, uh, so Mark, Mark was uh, I think he was with Caroline his sister 
Um, and he started off downstairs, <laughs> which um, and but then he positioned himself at the stairs, and he sort of began to kind of pull pull at people and sl- sort of slightly bother people as they were going up and downstairs. And I had a neighbour who was about uh, fifteen years older than me, and Mark was convinced he was my dad. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, word came. Uh, Dave, um, Mark's bothering people, and I don't, a few people were finding it a bit intimidating. So uh, will you go and have a word? Okay, so uh, strategy required at that point, because obviously I wasn't going to kind of square up to him because uh, I'd invited him to my wedding. He's my pal. So I, um, I grabbed him and I said, Mark, come and dance. And I took him upstairs to the rave room and um, – me and him hit the dance floor. And obviously, oh, yeah. as we appeared, uh, people kind of cleared the dance floor a little bit, like, you know, the parting of the mm. way, Moses. <laughs> and um, the DJ played this song uh, called Plastic Dreams. It's like a Belgian techno record. Of course it is. Of um, course it's like a Belgian techno record. <laughs> and, it's, um, and we started dancing together, me and Mark. And, uh, I, you know, and, he, and he, he was in his suit and everything. And I don't know how, whether you can recall many times when you saw Mark dancing to Belgian techno, but he had moves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was a good dancer, Mark. Yeah. He used to do a bit on yeah. stage early on. He was, was always a good dancer. Yeah. But he, I think he, uh, Jarvis Cocker built his whole career on Mark's early yeah. dance moves. Yeah, he, he was, and it, it was a lot more than just kind of, swaying you know it yeah. was like he, he knew what he was doing but then he started um uh, he, he kind of leant forward and started kind of freestyle rapping into my ear um <laughs> and just like nonsense stuff um i think he, i don't know why he did that i mean again maybe he wanted to bite mm-hmm. my ear off and he couldn't quite bring himself <laughs> Your, your ears have survived here, haven't they? No, they haven't. <laughs> so there I was, and I was thinking, I'm, you know, and obviously in those sort of moments, your brain is whirring, and I'm like, I never thought yeah. I was going my wedding dancing with Mark. Mm-hmm. It was a tape of that. You could have made a new fall album there, Belgian Techno with Mark Freestyle rapping over the top. Oh, it was it yeah, was, a, I, I just remember. I was just praying, album. I was yeah. praying that the DJ was playing like that, you know, wasn't playing the extended fifteen minute mix. <laughs> so, I don't know. If this is, if, well, you, much, you know what um, I like them DJs, Dave. They, they, you know, anything for an easy life. They stick one of them on. So when know. was when was the divorce then, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, well, it's all it, and it was a, it was a. To be honest, it was you a, invited Mark Smith to our wedding. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and it was such a funny moment, yeah. And yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it actually, and it, yeah, I think we sort of stayed. I don't know what the DJ played next, but we kind of. I think a few people joined us on on the dance floor, and it was it was a lot, a lot of fun. <laughs> but, um, that was, you know, uh, uh, I, you know, I spoke I spoke to Caroline the other day, and oh, uh, did you? Sure, yeah, right. I speak to her quite a lot, and she's um, yeah, she's she okay. Yeah, she's fine. She's good. I mean, um, uh, obviously, there's a few bits and bobs coming up for sale in yes. various auctions. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So we, we 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 were talking about that, and um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, he he was devoted to his sisters and his and his, and his yeah. wife, and um, and they were devoted to him, you know, and so it's, uh, 
you know, obviously difficult, mm-hmm. still a very difficult situation for mm-hmm. for, yeah. for all of them. Sad that the last time we saw Caroline Paul, Paul was that the Pete Shelley thing, wasn't it? Was. it? Yeah, who was that? Who was yeah. that guy interviewed? <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know that, that was that was that was a, uh, I, I was a Caroline. If, yeah. she, if she listens to this, won't mind me reminding her of the fo- of the um, it, the question that she asked from the audience of Pete, yes. which was, "What would his funeral song be?" Oh yes, of course. Oh, wow. and, sure, it was, yeah. and that was literally the last interview that. Pete Shelley ever did. That was a great um, interview. That I mean, I, you know, it was. It's on YouTube. If any, I've, if, I've seen it about fifty times. Yeah, yeah, really uh, good interview. And it was, uh, it was a great question from somebody at the end as well. I can't remember who that was. Somebody from the oh, audience. Who was that? Loud uh, mouth. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> modesty forbids me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was your question? I can't remember. <laughs> it was about. Oh, yeah. I know what it was. I asked him which did he think was more culturally important. Uh, putting the Sex Pistols on at the Lesser Free Trade Hall or releasing Spiral Scraps. That was well, a good question. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, was, I was trying to redeem myself for shouting, fuck him, when, when you mentioned Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he, yeah, you're talking about Morrissey, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He didn't hold back. So, no, good. Uh, but, yeah, that's what I mean, those on-stage interviews, you know, because they're in front of an audience, um, I think as an interviewer, you kind of feel em- empowered somehow to ask even difficult questions. Yes. In a way, the audience want you to. They don't want just the kind of the Wikipedia stuff. You know, they want you to maybe go into slightly dangerous territory. Mm. And, I mean, uh, that's that's true. I think that's true of all a lot of music journalism now, or anything. Mm. That. The, the day of facts and figures are gone, aren't they? I mean, you know, you can people can look that up for themselves, can't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, all that stuff about, you know, when did you form and, and all that kind, kind of, of strings. <laughs> you don't to ask that kind of stuff anymore. But, yeah. um, so, but what the, the, when I did the, the um, interview, the first interview I did with Mark uh, on stage, in fact, it was at the green room, which is now Gorilla. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so. And uh, when, when was it? 2011. And, um, Right. It was Mark. It, Mark brought um, uh, his mum. Uh, you know, I mean, there was a in many in many of my encounters with him. Obviously, I didn't work with him in the same way, and I, and I know that when you're in a very intense situation with people, all kinds of fallings out can happen, which is you know my experience mm-hmm. at the end of really. But my experience of of you know, some a lot of my encounters with Mark was how, in a way, how sweet he could be. And I know that sounds almost like he would hate would have hated me saying that because it's like mm-hmm. it goes against the grain. But you know, he brought his mum to the show, and uh, I mean, we had all kinds of shenanigans. I had to take the smoke machine, uh, the smoke machine, the smoke alarm. Uh, I had to disable a smoke alarm in the dressing room for him. Okay, and um, yeah. We, and he got very, yeah, he got very, uh, he got very refreshed before uh, before going on stage. But then at the end, and it was it was pretty difficult because, like, uh, like you were saying, he kept denying that he'd ever done stuff that he'd written about in his autobiography <laughs> and uh, making my life difficult. But at the end, um, uh, he just said to me, we were backstage again, and he just said to me. Uh, 
was that all right? And I'm like, yeah, that was great, Mark. And I, and I gave him, you know, I gave him his money in a mm-hmm. you know, cash in a brown envelope. <laughs> and uh, he, he took 20 quid out and he just put it on the table next to me and said, you did a great job. Uh-huh. And it was kind of, it was, it was a bit like... You know, when your your granddad used to give you money at Christmas yeah. or you go around to visit your grandparents or whatever and your granddad had slip you a pound note or something. It was a bit it, it it was for me, it it was that kind of it felt to me like a very kind of it, him saying something, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's kind of moving, that yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have articulated, you know, he wouldn't have said, Oh, you know, you're a good guy or anything. <laughs> Perish well, the no. But yeah. to just wanting to kind of mark that moment that we'd kind of done all that together and you know, I paid yeah. him, we'd been a bit of a pal. That was that for me, that was really, yeah, like you say, it was really moving and really emotional. And then he went, you know, went to fetch his mother and you know, and um my wife and, and my daughter came backstage, and you know that was a, that, it was a lovely moment. And it was partly <laughs> my wife because, had to go at him for ruining a wedding. Yeah, <laughs> partly because it was so different to the yeah the guy <laughs> off stage at the poly and you know had a yeah. had a battle with mm. something. But I, well, to be fair, if someone throws a can and it hits you in the face. I think you've pretty much got every right to go into the arms and lamp him, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it would, it would, I don't know if you remember, but when we've talked about this before, that, that horrible time, they were when you were being hailed with all kinds of gob and people oh, God, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and throwing yeah. stuff. It's like, how do, you, how do you show your appreciation for this band? Well, basically, we yeah. tell them to fuck off and throw beer at them and spit at them, basically. Oh, I couldn't have stood that. I mean, occasionally people have thrown stuff at me while I've been DJing. Um, and uh, we had to build a bit of a cage at the boardwalk when I did the boardwalk. We built a cage for wow. the DJ box. But that, that was, uh, I don't know. I mean, they, they put on gigs there as well, so it could, yeah. it could generally get quite rowdy. But um, I had a... Uh, Someone stubbed a cigarette out on the, on my forehead while I was DJing, which was Bloody quite, hell. quite un- unexpected. I don't think they were showing any appreciation for the music. No, no, I don't think that was a mark of affection, was it? Did, uh, you, did the fall ever play the boardwalk, Sue? Say again. Did the fall ever play the boardwalk? No, I don't, I don't think we. No, we didn't play the boardwalk. No, we no. used to rehearse there, of course. Yeah. Uh, I think we were one of the first bands to rehearse there. He used to let us use the room. Yeah, while it was being age. while it was being converted, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was again. Weirdly enough, it was originally it was the first venue where the green room were, and when it first opened, it had had the um, whatever it's called stairs um, chairs, you know, on a on a kind of angle. So in the refurb, all that had to come out. What do you mean by that? Chairs on an angle. What does that mean? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like raked seating, they call it. Oh, right. Okay, yes. Yeah, the board had raked seating because it was a theatre. Ah, was Uh, it? uh, Yeah, the main room, yeah. And then um, I think it was that that was in the kind of maybe in the 70s, mid-70s. I always thought that was just like a warehouse, you know, like – Davidson's, which we've talked about, which was yeah. just, which was like sort of next door, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, road, yeah. No, well, originally yeah. it was a uh, the board or it was um, a, a Sunday school, a school connected to uh, St Peter's Church. St Peter's Church 
was on St. Peter's Square, where the library yeah. well, now is. Well, Little Peter Street, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, so. and it was called Little Peter Street because the yeah. church Sunday school was actually... That, that is quite a street with quite a story, isn't it? Yeah. If you think about it. Yeah. You, like, every, everyone must have walked that street band-wise. Yeah. I mean, anyone yeah. listening who doesn't know, it, it's, it's yeah. around the corner from where the Hacienda began. Well, well, that's is it. This, you, you're in your rehearsal room, and you, then you've got your boardwalk, and your holy grail is yep. getting to the hacienda at the end of the street. <laughs> yeah. What's and then, the name of that pub under the arch? What's the name of that pub? Uh, at the top. The, was it called the? Uh, well, originally, wasn't the one called the Gaiety or something? The. Oh, was, the Gaiety. The Gaythorn. There was originally the Gaythorn. That was it. Gaythorn. It was, yeah. Gaythorn. Yeah, and yeah, there, was, there was a little barber under the bridge as well, yes, if you remember. Yes, it was. Uh, and where home now is was yeah. um, gas, uh, whatever the Gas works, yeah. Gas works. And I mean, yes, that transformation is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Manchester. And, I mean, occasionally, because obviously on Little Piece of Treat as well, as you say, TJ Davison's where, you know. Mm-hmm. I assume you've, you – did you rehearse there as well? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And um, – and Joy Division, of course. Yeah. Buscock's had their own room. Buzz, yeah. Um, yeah. Joy Division, well, obviously, the Lovell Towers apart, that's... Well, that's there, in isn't there, yeah. 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 And um, yeah. I've, just been, I've just been looking at the Kevin Cummings book. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, obviously, the really famous pictures of Joy Division yeah. in that room. Wasn't, but, it, uh, what, wasn't uh, that what, room actually somebody else's room? No, yeah, I don't think that was. I, th- I think that was one of the ones that you just hired out for the day. That yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah. Joy Division's usual but, one. I don't think. No. Yeah, it was an absolute shithole. <laughs> you see, those build. The thing is that those buildings were old, obviously old Victorian buildings, brick buildings, really well built, and actually had a, a kind of built-in good acoustics and good. Sound insulation. Plus, there was nobody living anywhere near yeah, them. Yeah, that's no, right. no, no, no. So, you I mean, make... you'd come and go at all hours, and there was yeah, nobody, yeah. No, nobody. All it needed, all it needed was a sweeping brush. It'd have been all right, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I think the first person who lived right, well, one of the first people who lived down there was Tony Wilson because he, he bought a loft apartment more or less Did opposite it? Boardwalk. Yeah, he, li- oh, he lived on Little Peter Street. Was it? Yeah, yeah. I was at, you know, uh, there was somebody that, who lived there before him. There was the the, the, the sort of uh, the gentleman of the road who Tony Davidson hired to open them up for him. He found him sleeping in the doorway and he hired him as like the caretaker. <laughs> he was sleeping yeah. he was well ahead of the curve. He was. That's got- <laughs> Mike, yeah. So there was yeah a bit of a history there. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I know the fall never never uh, never played. But I remember the Weeds playing. I always thought of the Weeds as a bit of a. Uh, yeah, well, it was Simon, wasn't it? That was Simon. Yeah. Also yeah. Simon, yeah. yeah. Simon's band. Well, Andrew Berry was a singer. Andrew Berry, yeah. Andrew, Berry, what a great bloke he was. Well, still is. But um, 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 also, I remember uh, Mark occasionally coming in. I remember there was a New York band called Live Skull. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. you remember them? No, uh, they uh, meant now in my booze of them. Live Skull. And, I remember them, uh, Mark. Knew them, knew them, and uh, I think him and Bricks came to see them play. Uh, so that was about yeah eighty six ish. When did it open in the boardwalk? Uh, as as a as a venue, um, March I think eighty six. Right, and were you involved with it straight away? That, yeah, I booked the bands on Saturday nights. Right, so I booked um, Live Skull <laughs> and um, Pale Fountains Live. Yeah. Who were in the main? Oh, blimey. Yeah. 
um, lie back, and that was that was ooh, that was incredible. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, all, all kinds of bands, and that was the first place I put Sonic Youth on. Right. Okay. When they slept on your titular floor. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they slept on my floor, yeah. and then I think they did the boardwalk after that. Oh, ah, right. Okay. Um, so were you. I know it's in your book, but for the benefit of the uh, the very few of our listeners who haven't read it, so that was the same time you were working at the Hacienda. Were you kind of doing both? Or? Yeah, so I, I started the uh, Saturdays at the Boardwalk um, in yeah March 86, and I was doing th- uh, Thursday nights at the Hacienda DJing from May 86. Um, so and- was it was it busy then? The Hacienda eighty. So I'm trying to think. I mean, I know we've all watched many documentaries, but what, when did it? Mm. Well, it began. Um, uh, well, they moved it early eighty six. There was a, a new manager came on board, a guy called Paul Mason, who'd been at Rock City mm. in Nottingham, yeah. and he yeah. had a much more uh, commercial sense of how to get things done in a club than than had previously been, anyone mm-hmm. involved in management previously there. And he said, well, the first thing is you keep putting on these gigs and you, every time you put on a gig, you have to hire in a PA, you have to mm-hmm. pay the bands, feed them, etc. And not enough people are generally interested in the bands you're putting on um, to make it pay. So that's why you're losing money. Uh, and he put on, started doing DJ-only nights at Rock City. So he said, well, what we could do is move away from live music and put more DJs on. And it, so it wasn't, that wasn't a move that they made to kind of, you know, create a new zeitgeist. It was a move. Of course, yeah. Because they were losing and, and, and they knew they could pay me, they paid me 40 quid to do nine till two on a Thursday night. And in 1986, it's not bad. It's not bad, no. That no, wasn't bad in 1986, I would have thought. I was signing on at the same time, and so it all, you know. Don't we'll say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the statute of limitations has gone. They're not going to come after him for his benefits. <laughs> um, they've come after me a few times. They've got everything they need now. Uh, <laughs> uh, with HMRC and me, uh, yeah, we're all right now. So um, <laughs> I, uh, and there were 500 people at the first night, and they were absolutely overjoyed. Because it was far in excess of what they thought, and um, uh, but obviously three years later, five hundred would have been a disaster. Because, I was going to say five hundred people. Yeah. It takes took a lot of fill in that place, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And then, um, but Wilson still they wanted to close it, and Wilson went on a holiday in the August '86. He went to China, yeah. um, and uh, by that time, obviously Mike Pickering was doing Fridays, which was yeah. started to do really well as well. Nude night. And then I started Saturdays with a guy called Dean Johnson. So there was, at that point, there were three weekly club nights and they right. were beginning to build. And Wilson, but Wilson and everyone still wanted to actually think about closing the club. It was the nearest they'd ever come because they got this new guy in and, you know, it was, a, a, and they'd moved to DJing and it was like almost like the last uh, throw of the dice. And um, one, in fact, was A-level Thursday when the A-level results came out. Um, all the sixth formers all yeah. descended on the Hacienda, and it was uh, packed as a result. And uh, the management tracked down Tony in China, which was quite a thing in 1980. Yeah, you can imagine. And, yeah. and told him, um, yeah, it, it's, the Fridays are going really well. 
and uh, Dave's night sold out last night. And um, and and I mean, Tony told me. I mean, I've got letters from Tony Wilson, bizarrely. Uh, it's kind of how he decided he wanted to correspond with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and 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 he's like that. You know that gave us an, enough hope to think right well we'll we'll give it another year and obviously mm-hmm. by a year on from that mm-hmm. at the end of eight into the end of 87 and by that time um you know it was clear that in, inadvertently they had hit the zeitgeist yeah, yeah. the people were really into the idea of going to an old warehouse and hearing djs play um, I never understood it me that day. I mean, you know, no offence, but standing in the warehouse, listening. Well, I'm not, I'm no, I mean, to be honest, at the beginning it was controversial. I, yeah. I remember, I remember uh, people would bang on the DJ box door and and complain about the music. I mean, even when it was f- full, there'd be, and I always thought of them as kind of people who'd, uh, you know, been into early factories, say, and 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 hadn't been to the Hacienda for a while, and they were expecting something completely different. Yeah. And I remember, them, I remember one guy banging on the door and going, this is disco music. Quit playing the disco music. <laughs> and, um, what happened to him? What happened to him? But, you know, so it, and it was because it was, a, it was a big change because, you know, as, uh, uh, as you said earlier, you know, you had the gigs by the birthday party and the cramps and William Burroughs and, mm-hmm. and the fall, obviously. Yeah. It was that kind of a place. And suddenly for it to be overrun with people listening to funk and disco and house music, it was, it was, was a big change, you know. Yeah. And that I was mean, even before ecstasy, you know, it was, it yeah, was yeah. a big change. But, I mean, it wasn't – I mean, you look at the films of those gigs and, you know, Malcolm used to film them, didn't he? And yeah. They're great, but the sound in the actual room for, in terms of live music was shocking as much. Yeah. It was my overriding memory of it. You're, you're totally right, and that's one reason why I think why the DJing thing worked, because it was just, you know, it was easier to get a good sound. And to be honest, mm. it was why house music sounded so good in there, because yeah. it was so minimal. You know, I mean, if you'd had two, if you if you'd had a band with two drummers playing at the Hacienda, the sound <laughs> bouncing around like that. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, and... <laughs> It, it it would have been pretty unlistenable. It sounded it sounded great on the stage. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that it did the sound from the stage was great, wasn't it? You didn't yeah. really know what people were talking about, and they said it sounded awful out front. And then, and if, to be honest, the DJ box, yeah. which was as you remember, opposite the stage on the balcony, it yes. sounded great there as well. It was just if you <laughs> if you, <laughs> you, you paid your four pound fifty, yeah, and um, yeah. you were anywhere else, it it. It wasn't a great experience. Yeah, so they, they inadvertently uh, created the, the the festival, didn't they? You know, great for the band, great for the people who work there, shit for the punters, you know. So that's <laughs> uh, basically invest, invented Glastonbury. <laughs> uh, oh, you're a cynical. I am. Yeah, that's terrible. I tell you. The first festival I ever went to was deeply you failing. You know what people enjoy going to Glastonbury? I mean, my, my son's going next year. He's just scored tickets for Glastonbury. Right. Has he got tickets? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. he sold out in them. ten it's minutes. Or ten seconds, yeah. yeah. Well, he had yeah. like yeah. three PCs, a laptop, a phone, and a thing going on to buy these three tickets. But back, back, back then, <laughs> we, we got the idea. Sorry, you, you're about to talk about DQ Vale. No, no, it's all right. Carry on. Um, well, I, I was just going to say that I never saw me. Uh, there was only a few times I ever saw music outdoors. 
Um, I mean, I obviously started getting mm. gigs in 1977. And I remember I went to Ale- an outdoor gig at Alexandra Palace where the pop group and the raincoats and the slits played. And I think that was 79 or 80, maybe 81, I don't know, around then. And then I remember the fall played a gig for Radio Lancashire, I think, um, in the... Um, Clitheroe. Clitheroe. Clitheroe, yeah. Uh, and I remember going there, and, uh, it, it, and it was a novelty seeing bands in the open air because all the bands I'd seen were either in kind of quite sweaty clubs or... Mm-hmm. You know, or the Apollo, or wherever. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's a different. It's my, a different. My first experience of probably seeing a band out doors was that Alexander Park thing. I would have thought. That one, the Buscox one, one? Steel Pulse. Buscox is still. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fantastic. That what a day that was. It was it like. Was. I mean, um, you kind of spoiled. It, it, it was all downhill from there for me. It was like my favourite band. The sun was. Breaking, you know, it was a gorgeous day, and it was uh, it was fantastic that gig. Oh, well, also it was for a good cause, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, racism, yeah. yeah. I think it was strange times, weren't they? And well, it would never happen again, would it? You'd never get the rise, rise of the far right coming along, would you? We beat them forever. <laughs> yeah, Who'd have thought? Well, that's you know, I mean, um, oh god, I men- mentioned earlier about bringing politics into the Hacienda mm-hmm. documentaries. <laughs> But but honestly, around that time with Rock Against Racism, which I think was such an incredible force, and I think Mm -hmm. it politically, I think it, you know, uh, affected a lot of people positively. Yeah. You know, even, Mm. I mean, I know even The Fall did a few gigs for Rock Against Racism. What do you mean, even? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Mark Mark wasn't renowned for, you know, (laughs) pinning his... Support on causes of a left-wing nature, was he? Well, okay. you know, there's a picture in uh, Kevin Cummins' book of mine with a rock against racism badge on. Oh, that's, yeah. that's good. That, yeah, yeah. No, I don't. Again, I don't mean. I'm, I'm just saying. You know, he wasn't. No, no, no. no. I mean, that that was the start of. I think that was the start of uh, people in bands being associated with the left. Really, I don't. I think before then. Yeah, you know, I mean, Clapton was the one. Well, that was he was that was he was like deli- um, sort of directly responsible for the start of rocket racing. I mean, that, he was, yeah. That speech he did supporting mm. Enoch Powell. I mean, Enoch Powell. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've read the uh, transcript or, or heard it, but yeah. Christ it's Almighty, yeah, it's horrendous. Yeah, and I mean, that, they were not, I think all you know, like the Rolling Stones were kind of not right. They weren't right wing in terms of race, but certainly in terms of taxation and yeah. uh, paying your way. I don't think they were particularly left wing either, were they? No. I think a lot in a way. I mean, there was, I guess, there was a bit of uh, polit- overtly political stuff at the end of the nineteen uh, sixties into the seventies. Yeah, but mm. I think generally music was seen as almost uh, not apolitical exactly, yeah. but you know, beyond. Politics, or just like what what I, what I was called a rebel yell, you know, yes. like where you yelling into yelling, you're not kind of coming up with a blueprint for changing no. society for yeah. your um, So in a way, you're still political, but you're not. Yeah, you're, you're not. You're not, not got a small focused. P as well. Yeah, exactly. You're not as focused as as. Rocky. I mean, even, even punk. There was no. Re- I mean, if you look at what. I mean, George Strummer, I suppose, was vaguely left-wing, wasn't it, in a kind of woolly kind yeah. of way? But nothing Leiden said you could pin to any the left, right, or anything else, could you? Yeah. Uh, interviewing Leiden in front of 800 people live—that was an experience. Oh yes. <laughs> well, where was that? Well, when his book, when his, <laughs> when his a, second that, autobiography was it? That's at Albert Hall in um, the one in Manchester. Which, uh, yeah, okay. 
Um, and uh, in fact, we talked about, um, yeah, he was great. I mean, it yeah. was, again, to, in terms, funnily enough, I had to draw on all my, you know, um, experience of interviewing Mark yeah. uh, <laughs> to, to, to feel confident enough to interview him because, you know, he would, he's again, quite a difficult personality. Mm-hmm. But we talked, um, we talked, there's a little bit actually on um, SoundCloud. There's a few bits of interview with him that I did. And uh, he, uh, he was talking about the, um, the NHS and uh, libraries yeah. and all this. Uh, mm-hmm. He didn't give any kind of indication of his sort of Brexity type no. views. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that well, was I a think- night and a half. Well, I was going to say, the thing with Leiden, the kind of frustrating thing with him is he'll say some really good stuff and then he'll say something absolutely ridiculous like he supports Trump or whatever. Trump or whatever. And, then he'll say, and then he'll say something decent and then he'll say something ridiculous again. He goes around in circles, doesn't he? So you never really know what he actually means, which I presume is is the point, isn't it? That's what he's trying to do. You can never really, like Mark in a lot of ways, you never really pin him down to what he actually believes. No, you're right. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, there's definitely similarities there, aren't there? And, yeah. um, uh, but also just having, um, but at the same time, having an air of authenticity about what they do. Yes, definitely, yeah. And that is, uh, that you know, having interviewed so many um, <laughs> musicians and others, just absolutely feeling like what you're getting is an authentic person. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is quite a rarity you know you're not getting a mediated version you're not getting you know somebody yeah. who's got a, who who's playing a kind of media game in order to sell more records you know you, you're getting the real deal do you think it's getting rare of that Dave? i don't know well i don't know i don't inter- i don't interview that many musicians right, now. okay i mean i think that um like a lot of things things change um and uh, I interviewed Jamie XX, and I really like oh, yeah. his. I really like his music, but mm-hmm. um, that didn't. He didn't seem to have. Uh, he wasn't used to people even being interested in in him as a person. Um, you know, whereas that that era of you know the 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 fall were around, especially in the eighties and the music press. You know, people were buying those newspapers to find out more about the person, you know, yeah. where, where, this, where did this music come from? Whereas I think a lot, I just don't think the young, the younger musicians are that prepared to, for that kind of questioning, you know, it, no. it's that frustrating thing. Oh, the music speaks for itself, which isn't really always true. If you know well, I mean, mean. Obviously, yeah. you know, you could say there's no real compunction for, Somebody who makes great records to be an interesting person is there necessarily no. no, or yeah, and and also whether they're vegetarian or not doesn't really mean whether you should like the music or not. No, no, I mean the, 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 that's a big that's a big thing now, and that's only getting worse. I think that whole <laughs> thing of you know that ad hominem thing of I can't listen to this guy's music because he doesn't hold the same views as me. That is. I, f- I find it difficult. Me, I mean, apart because I'm, I'm again we're, we're getting on a bit, but. You've got to be able to divorce the artists from the art. I mean, yeah, most of the time. Well, I mean, there's certain. I mean, I know there's lines wow. you can't cross. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, there's a red line across which people obviously shouldn't go. I mean, we mentioned the glitter ban before. Uh, <laughs> no one's going to say, oh, yeah, but no, no. you can divorce the art from the artist. Not it? at all, but okay, what, what I will say, those some of those Gary Glitter records are fantastic, aren't they? Roll Part 2 is a great yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just an amazing record, but no, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's not on my playlist, I will, and I, it never would be again. But yeah. Well, I tend to find that the musicians in the bands that I like tend to actually be, you know, people who've got opinions more or less like mine, and that's maybe why I yeah. like them, because they're communicating yeah. to me. And they you might do, you do tend to find that, don't you? you I mean, yeah. you can you kind of get that from a lot of that from Twitter, don't you? That you can yeah. instantly. Uh, often instantly recoil from a band, and then ten months later or a year later, it. Turns out, you know that X, Y, Z, and you're like, well, I kind of got that from the music. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that was the big, sh- big shot with uh, our friend Mr. Morrissey. Then that he, he people thought oh. he, he was one thing, and he turned out to be another. People, a lot of people, were let down by that, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I mean, I think. Um, uh, I mean, I think there are definitely more people. Certainly in Britain. I mean, overseas, I don't think they quite get. Because um, I don't understand the politics of Britain so no. much. No, you know him talking about his support for Tommy Robinson. Say, <sighs> then you, you know, <laughs> telling somebody it's not going to mean a lot in Mexico I mean, or wherever, is it? Why he? I mean, I believe his next album hasn't even got a British release. You know, uh-huh. uh, it's released around the world, but not in Britain. Uh, so, but I think in Britain, there's certainly more disappointed Morrissey fans than there are Morrissey fans. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, uh, I, I think everyone's pretty aware of what my, my, my view of all that is. Yes, of course. But, um, and, and it's another one where it's very hard to divorce the art from the artist. It is. I mean, and without, you know, being too trite about this thing, that was something Mark did very well, I think, was he never... You know, he, he could he could say certain outrageous things, or he could you know he could put things in his lyrics, but there was never that the naffness of Morrissey. You know, the, the whole naffness of him coming out and explicitly expo- you know supporting Tommy Robinson and Britain First and all that. I mean, if nothing else, it's, it's supremely uncool, isn't it? I like yeah, I like the way you put that. It's true. Yeah, really. I That's think it. that was the skill Mark had. I think you know, you know, he, he, ne- he would never pin himself to anything as crass as that. I don't think. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm good. Can, can I ask you a question? Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Mark, Mark, bless him, as we all knew him, what would he make of, you know, the podcasts and all that? I mean, do you think he'd, he'd, hate, had, it. he'd hate it? Yeah. He'd hate him. <laughs> he'd hate the fact we were doing one, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, someone was talking about this. I mean, it doesn't really work. Um, he thought the words were his mm. department, which mm. is fine when you're talking about mm. the words to a song, but he, I think he meant any word that's written about the mm. fall was his department, mm. which is, you know, it's, it's mm. I don't, I, we would never agree about it. He would think that the bass player and the drummer had no right to discuss the work of the fall yeah, because they were only the bass player and the drummer. But well, fundamentally, we're not going to agree on that one, are we? No, I mean, yeah, I think, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's probably what how he would be. Uh, and uh, oh, the Hanley brothers! Mm. Yeah. But um, 
But at the same time, I think um, there was a part of him that, uh, and and it's uh, and you can see why, and he, he's quite quite at liberty to feel that. Where he he you know, as I said before, he was a, a genuinely creative, pioneering artist. Mm. You know, and in some ways, I think a lot of the stuff that happened around the fall when Mark was around and happens about the fall now is just people being in, in, inspired. And, and I think he, I think it was, it would have been a part of him that would have been what, that would have liked that idea of a legacy and that continuing interest. Yeah. In yeah. Him. Yeah. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? Yeah. No matter what he may say about it in public, that you'd like to think he'd be happy about it in private anyway. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, talk about someone like William yeah. Burroughs, you know, for me, I know this sounds like a complete, to some people, probably not people listening to a full podcast, but <laughs> to some people would be like, you know, a completely ridiculous thing to say. But in my eyes, he's like a William Burroughs type character, you know, and yeah. and the fact that people will, you know, want to talk about, you know, what he did and what the band did and is is absolutely what you would expect and want in some ways, I think. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing you'd, nev- would ne- you'd never know is how Mark would look back on the fall as a finished thing, you know, because it never finished, did it? Mm-hmm. So he might have, you mm-hmm. know, he might have got quite, you know, if he just split the band, if the band had finished... In, in 2016 and he carried on he might have looked back on it in a different way and kind of you know warmly and but it was always about the next thing so he was always going to treat people who look back in with some kind of contempt because it wasn't what he was about no. and you yeah. can't we can't unfortunately with, with the fall you can't do anything but look back now can you and i think um to take us back to where we started i mean i think that would be a good example to set for for um uh, Mr. Hook and the Hacienda. Do you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. um, let's let's just well, as William Burroughs said, <laughs> time to forget a dead empire and build a living republic. Um, you know, no, so we've got to end it there, David. That's <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> going to be the last line. Now, <laughs> really, you're welcome to it. You're welcome to it. Thank I'm you. Loving that. That was. That, <laughs> thanks so much for joining yeah. us. That was really good. Really great to speak to you. Love that. Nice one, yeah. Thank you for having okay. me. Take no, care. No, it's a pleasure. Come so on, uh, enjoy, enjoy Paris. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And How long are you there? I've got uh, another. I'm halfway through a month long stay, so I've got another. Oh, lovely. Another two lovely. weeks. What's the weather like? It's always the same, more or less the same as Manchester, to be honest, but just mm. um, with better food. <laughs> 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 right. Okay, Dave. I'll let you go. Right. See Thanks you later. Lot, Bye. Right. Speak to you soon. Thanks Bye. a lot. Bye. Thanks for joining us for episode five of series three of Old Brother. The next regular episode will be released in three weeks rather than usual two, thanks to the festivities. But if you're all on the nice list, we'll hopefully get a Christmas special out on the 25th as well. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Brother Show, where you'll find links to our Spotify playlist. Or why not subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher or RSS, so you'll be all set for the rest of Series 3. You can give us a rating on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, or just tell your friends if you fancy it too. For further reading, me and Steve's books about the fall, the big midweek and our bleeding guests, 
and available from root publishers and all the bookstores. They make marvellous Christmas presents, not least because they're easy to wrap. Hope to speak to you all again soon, and remember, if you're driving, take your car. Ta-da! When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.